Thank you for joining us today. This is Dr. Tommy Show Live in Wesley Chapel. I am America's Free Market Doctor. Joining you live from Echelon Health, where we practice concierge medicine. With the benefit of membership medicine software that is, in my experience, indispensable to our practice, and it's called Atlas MD. If you haven't had a chance to use Atlas MD or experience it, I recommend you go to AskDrTommy.com and click on Special Offer for Atlas MD. And I was in Bush Gardens yesterday and got a text from a patient in line for a refill. I went online through that app. I refilled his medication and sent it to his pharmacy and got a confirmation from him that he received my text saying that it was delivered all before I got on the Scorpion. And today I'm pleased to join you with uh, Dr. Radley Griffin, who is from South Tampa's premier concierge medicine practice, Griffin Concierge Medical. And he is here to explain to us some of the new and exciting things that he's been doing and that maybe if you're lucky, your physician is doing, but it's about how to basically get really ahead of the curve when you're talking about disease prevention or disease or not even disease prevention. Uh, well, just tell us what it is. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Um, great to be here. So one of the things we've been really, I think, uh, focused on in our practice is is prevention. And that's that's really one of the benefits of concierge medicine, I think, is it, it creates a forum where we can actually prevent disease, which is great, whether that be through encouraging our patients to get the regularly scheduled screening tests, such as mammography, colonoscopy, bone density testing, uh, other cancer screenings, uh, and then really delve into the to the lifestyle aspect there too, as far as diet, exercise, true optimization. And I think there's some in primary care. There's some definite struggles with with prevention, and we still see disease still happening. And uh, and the the big the big factor there is is really heart disease. I mean, it's you, it's still the number one killer. Right. I read a read a, a stat last night that basically says heart disease deaths are uh, are greater than all cancer deaths combined, which is really staggering when you think about it. Right. And, and so the idea is, is from a primary care perspective, perspective, we're the ones who are driving prevention and screening. And what are some of the new technologies we can offer to our patients that we can order that are that are cost effective? And are truly impactful. So that's um, that's what we're doing. So normally, when someone goes to their doctor, let's say you're 50 years old, they may run a lipid panel, uh, talk to you a little bit about diet and exercise, maybe even order a stress test, talk to you about how well you're doing with your, um, you know, exercise. If you're doing any exercise, if you're having any chest pain, shortness of breath, and a lot of times that's it. Right. Uh, so above and beyond that, what are some of the things that would trigger you? as a, a family doctor, concierge medicine physician to say, you know, you know, what are some of the other things that you ask in addition to those standard questions and standard ages about when you start looking at uh, cardiovascular disease risk? Right. So that, that's interesting. So in spite of looking at the cholesterol, uh, having these, uh, these, these screening tests, such as stress tests, family history, uh, we're, we're, maybe not making the dent in, in heart disease like we are with, say, uh, colon cancer screenings. Uh, we're really reducing the uh, colon cancer deaths. Um, we're even better at detecting uh, breast cancers these days than in the past and even prostate cancer. 
And so the idea is, is, is we're, we tend to start this algorithm with heart disease based on things like cholesterol, family history, more or less the look test. This person mm-hmm. looks unhealthy, so their heart must be unhealthy. And time and time again, we end up being wrong, at least I do, in the sense that just when I am sure somebody's got heart disease, they're a diabetic, they right. are, they're a little bit overweight, they don't exercise, and then we test them and they have no heart disease. And then we've all heard of the cases that it's the, the person, oh my gosh, they just died of a massive heart attack. They, mm-hmm. Their diet was awesome. No family history. The cholesterol was amazing. And they died. And you're like, well, gosh, what could we have done to to predict that person was going to die of a massive heart attack? And of course, we, we hear all the time from a stress test perspective from Alan Thicke to President Clinton to Tim Russert years ago, they all had stress tests before mm-hmm. they died of a massive heart attack. So stress testing uh, clearly has limitations there. And so what the strategy that I'm recommending or suggesting is really the same strategy we're using for colonoscopies and mammograms. We're basically saying you are alive and you are of a certain age and we just screen you regardless of of family history of risk factors um and so that's what we're doing so basically i i want to know i want to know what just like i want to know what that colon looks like in our patients to make sure there's no colon polyps or Mm -hmm. any colon cancer I want to know what their coronaries look like so I can well, make the best recommendation for them. Let's look at this coronary here. This is a file that you sent me, and this is um, – describe what we're seeing here. So this is the technology we're talking about. We're talking about actually looking inside the patient's uh, coronary arteries, the uh-huh. which supply the blood to the heart, and we're trying to detect whether or not that person has plaque. And okay. what you see here is a nice young man. And I say young man because he, he, he is um, uh, early 50s, perfect cholesterol. You perfect know, cholesterol, this person? Perfect cholesterol. And so what are all those white things? So the white things are actually healed plaque. We call that calcium. Okay. And so this person, and what's interesting about calcium in the arteries is that it's, um, it's, it's old. So this person at the young age of 50 mm-hmm. has a bunch of old plaque that is healed, thank goodness, has healed in his artery. Okay, so a plaque is coming off the coronary artery. So the coronary arteries are the arteries that come off the top of your heart. Correct. Uh, off the aorta, main vessel comes off your heart, and then they themselves supply the heart muscle. Correct. So if your coronaries are blocked, it's one thing if you have a blockage in your leg and you have pain in your leg, but if your coronary vessels are blocked, that's like... You know, you're blocking the main pump, so there's That's not right. going to be any more pumping unless you... So this gentleman here had some plaques that were developed maybe at some point in his life, and you said now they're healed because of the calcium. That's a evidence of healing. Correct, yes. Now, on a standard coronary calcium score, this is what would show up on a coronary calcium score. Correct. And so that's that's a calcium scoring has been around for a while, um, really came to prominence in the early 2000s. And the idea is to... to uh, to screen patients with a low dose radiation calcium or, or CT scan. And the idea is if a patient has calcium in their arteries, they have coronary disease. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you could say, okay, we know this person has had uh, heart disease in the past. It doesn't look vulnerable now. 
but we can predict that they may develop it in the future. So we may put that patient on specific treatments such as cholesterol lowering therapies, we'll adjust diet, uh, we may even uh, implement an exercise regimen for that patient, and we may screen them differently, look at them differently. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about cardiac patients is people typically become cardiac patients after they have a problem. Okay, so let's look at this one here. This one here is a, this is very interesting. So describe what we're seeing here. So this is a, uh, a the artery of the heart. This is why we do the screening test. So you see that it's, uh, the white tube is the uh, left anterior descending artery, the main okay. artery, we call that the widow maker. You've right. heard that term before. So it's going down the right middle of the heart, supplies about what, 65% of the heart? At it's, least. it's a large amount. Yeah, and, and that, you see there's a, a hump right in the middle of it. That's what we call a soft plaque. Okay. And so the soft plaques are really what, what are dangerous. They're not healed. Uh, they are almost, uh, imagine a pimple inside the artery wall that for no darn good reason just decides to pop one day. And then we don't know that's there unless you got very lucky or unless you got screened. That Well, screening usually. is it, but usually right. what's so interesting about, about heart attacks, depending on the source you're looking at, but mm-hmm. when you look at the some, source, some sources say that of all the heart attacks, 75% of them uh, are from asymptomatic patients, and the other 25% are from people who have, so we would call that the, the old person's disease. They clutch the chest. When they, when they walk up the stairs, they, right. get, they get chest pain, and then they sit down and rest. That's not the majority of the patients. The majority of the patients, uh, it's a truly silent disease. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so for instance, this person. Now, what artery is this in? That's the um, that's the left anterior descending. The so main. the same widowmaker. Yes, and so this is interesting in that this person would have passed a stress test, right? Because they're not having symptoms related to this plaque. It's not cutting off the blood flow. And they would have had, you said they had a zero calcium score. There's no calcium. You see that in this plaque. There's no calcium whatsoever. So calcium scoring is a terrific start. Mm -hmm. But as we evolve, uh, we see it doesn't uh, tell the whole story. So that's why uh, we're looking beyond the calcium scoring and doing uh, what we call soft plaque analysis to make sure a person does not have a plaque like this. So tell us what is a soft plaque analysis then? So soft plaque analysis is is using uh, computer software to basically look at the plaque we just saw there and you can actually tell whether or not that plaque is imminently uh, uh, about to rupture? Is it healing? Is it not healing? Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, that that last picture we saw there, that that patient, uh, we followed that patient over several years doing the same scan year after year. So mm-hmm. instead of doing a stress test every year, we actually just looked at his uh, coronary CAT scan the uh-huh. next year. And we could actually see that that plaque was actually healing and it's starting to heal. What do you heal it with? Well, you hopefully you heal it with medications like cholesterol blockers, like uh, statin drugs, and and uh, there's the newer drugs, uh, injectable drugs called the PCSK9 uh, inhibitors, which will also heal that that plaque. Um, and you you look at lifestyle modification. Uh, I'm a big believer that that uh, sugar, high sugar levels, high insulin levels are drivers of plaque formation. So we try to adjust that. And, and this patient in particular, they didn't tolerate statin therapy. They they had horrible side effects related to it. As as some patients do, not a lot. Right. But some patients do, and when they do, it's it's intolerable, like you That's said. That's right. 
And so we we had a decision to make. We said, well, gosh, do we do we actually put a stent in that in mm-hmm. that area to basically keep that from rupturing, or right. do we just? What's so interesting about this scanning? This patient is highly aware of his heart now, and it, we we hope in this case this plaque doesn't rupture, and we we think it's on its way to healing. Um, but what's so interesting about the data on on CAT scanning uh, of the of the coronaries is that they do reduce death. They they do reduce uh, the incidences of of um, of heart attacks, and even patients who do have heart attacks it mm-hmm. reduces their risk of death because they're not. They know if they're having symptoms of heartburn, mm-hmm. they're not waiting around. They're going right to the hospital. And you can imagine those people who we do identify plaque like that, any hesitation they have of starting a cholesterol-lowering medication or a lifestyle modification, who needs a, a bigger incentive than a big plaque sitting in your arteries? So um, it's easy to see why screening is effective. Now, you talk about screening. One of the big controversies that we always come across is screening. It could be for something as simple as a $12 blood test. Right. We have these national uh, agencies and associations who uh, tell us what we should or should not screen. So this this kind of screening is not quote-unquote recommended by the United States Preventive Services Task Force, I wouldn't imagine. No, it's not, and that's okay. Uh, I think eventually it will be, uh, but that's that's why our patients have us. They have us to uh, really, and, and you know, we, we as concierge physicians and primary care physicians, even cardiologists, we we hate it when something bad happens to our mm-hmm. patients. It's, it's a visceral feeling that, gosh, what more could I have done for my patient? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, this this really fits right in there with with what we're trying to accomplish. And as physicians, and I think primary care physicians, we like we love to, to know that our, our patient doesn't have colon cancer, doesn't have breast cancer or prostate cancer. But gosh, how great does it feel when we know our patient doesn't have heart disease, the number one killer right. of, of all Americans? Uh, it's invaluable. So what's so neat about these tests is that the the data, uh, when they're negative, when these tests are negative, meaning there's mm-hmm. no plaque whatsoever, there's no calcium whatsoever, our cardiologists are saying they have a, about a 99.99 negative predictive value, meaning there's no plaque there. So if they come up with chest pain in the next week, two weeks, even several months, uh, that's not a heart attack. It's something different. Right. So we feel very good when these tests are negative. We feel, we feel, um, well, so, yeah, yeah, I'm sure the patient feels great too, knowing that. I mean, especially if you have a patient who's at risk potentially from a family history standpoint. Right. right. So this test here obviously is only for millionaires, right? Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's for, it's for everybody. It's, um, it's the, the technology. How much does it cost? The test costs to actually get the test done it costs one hundred ninety five dollars, mm-hmm. and our cardiologist will pay them a uh, hundred dollars to read the test. Okay. So, so two hundred ninety five dollars. So less than what a lot of people would spend out going out to eat, let's say for you know a month. Absolutely, you this can is, have this in your you know knowing this is 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 life saving. Not only life saving, but I'm sure a, a great deal of uh, load off your mind. Knowing that you don't have yeah. to worry about this so much. Well, it's great too, and even consider this perspective. So uh, often we'll put a patient on cholesterol-lowering drugs just because their cholesterol is high, and those medications have have effects. They have right. side effects, and one side effect sometimes is cost, and these exactly. medications can be very expensive. Right. So imagine you have a 
high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And again, when we go back to cholesterol, when you feel, when you look at the data, you realize that half of the heart attacks are coming from people with normal cholesterol, which is just a a staggering uh, statistic. You know that cholesterol is not the answer. So what's so neat about this test too, is that we're actually taking patients off of cholesterol medication when we see a negative study. And, and I think that's really great. And they, they're allowed to live with their elevated cholesterol because they're not plaque makers. And also they're allowed to live without that cost, like you that's said. That's right. And, so, some of these te- and some of these medicines are very expensive. They are. And so you can kind of think of it like, well, gosh, if I could get off that medication, right. that, that's a true offset for the cost of the actual test. Well, that's some of the things that, you know, concierge medicine's different. That's why people say, well, you know, some of the people that I uh, detractors, at least, that I've seen say that it's only for the rich, and then that the things that we do are not important. Let's say, you know, they're just kind of window dressing. But this is, you know, obviously, this is not the case. You and I believe that's not the case, but this is evidence there of the difference that you can get when you have someone who is completely dedicated and has the time to yeah. uh, to talk to you about all of the different options that you have. Correct. And also, you know, I've I've run into cases where. You know, whether it be with hormone treatment or whatever, where uh, the patient will go to their doctor on the outside and say, oh, that doctor says that you're, you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And I think they get into a point where they're in this uh, academic medicine or whether it's insurance based medicine, where they're in the silo. And unless the Pfizer guy is the guy or whoever, whatever rep is the one that's coming around to tell them do this, then they really don't think about it necessarily. Right at the end of the day, what's so what's so neat about the concept, and, and it's, we're just blessed to experience this every day, is just truly the relationship you have. You you just you just have this obligation toward your patient, and you truly have a mentality of what would I want for myself. Uh, right, I'm going to do that for my 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 patient right here, who I consider a family member. So it's so interesting, and and you, we we probably read the same report. Um, looking at how many urologists get PSAs drawn on them, even though mm-hmm. it's not a recommended screening test, and virtually all of them do. So mm-hmm. it's kind of neat to to see that. And you'd say, w- will I get this test done? You better believe I will with a strong family history of heart disease. I don't want to be the, the, uh, the skinny physician mm-hmm. who uh, died of a massive heart attack. And so that, that brings up, a, I guess, a good segue to who gets this test and when. Mm-hmm. And the general rule is you you're, you're alive, so that's number mm-hmm. one. And uh, men and women, men and women. So men tend to develop heart disease earlier than women, and that's mm-hmm. probably related to to menopause in women. And so we we start screening men around age age forty to forty five. Mm-hmm. And so that that's me. Uh, is that you yet, Tommy? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Good for you. One year. So and I will screen. Although earlier. some of my patients think I'm already fifty. <laughs> but I nice. cut the hair, so it's less noticeable. And, and some I'll, I'll, some patients I will screen before age forty if they have a you know maybe a diabetes or or a metabolic syndrome because we do have patients who do die of heart disease in their thirties. So I think we have to use our judgment there. Absolutely, yeah. And I think family history is another thing. I see this repeating formula sometimes. You hear patients come in and they have a family history where, and my family is one of them. Uh, grandpa died. Uh, at age 50 or great grandpa died at age 50 something his son his my grandfather had three heart attacks before he died my father had a heart attack in his 40s so you know it's not just a matter of um 
you know, like you said, just cholesterol. There's some right. other very Absolutely. strong family history, some kind of component that we may not even be aware of yet, but we can screen it now right. and, that, and see. Yeah. That, that's what's so interesting is that it's neat when we have that, and it's it's pretty much easy when we have that that history there. The, the really, the true benefit is when we have someone who has no family history whatsoever, and we see a, a widow-maker type plaque, mm-hmm. and you just you just feel so good, and, and thank goodness you don't see that very often. Um, but I, I, you know, I think you have to screen quite a few people to actually catch something like that. But when you do, it's just, it's right. just the the best feeling. And then when you don't, and if you don't catch it, thank goodness, you know, oh, that's right. That's you know, when would you screen somebody again then? So let's say you get somebody that's forty years old, let's say moderate history of heart disease in the family. You screen them at forty, they're negative. Would you wait five years? Yeah, that's that's a tough question because I think we don't live in a in a world of. Um, of, of consistency typically. So mm-hmm. our life changes, our stress changes, uh, our, the way our genetics work, those also change. And so I think that's where, because there are no guidelines here, which is so interesting about this testing is that we are, when I say we, people who are ordering these tests and even the cardiologists, we're somewhat making it up as we go along. Mm-hmm. So so for instance, with the person uh, that had that soft plaque, I'm, I'm seeing, I want to scan them every single year right. to make sure that plaque is healing and make sure they're not developing any new plaque. But the person that has a completely normal study and nothing else is changing, their, their weight's staying the same, their activity levels are staying the same, they're not having any symptoms. I'm feeling comfortable right now with five years, five. every five years. Uh, the cardi- some cardiologists are, are so... Uh, I think heartened by this test is, and they're recommending upward of 15 years. Okay, I'm not that. I'm not that. Uh, well, heck, in 15 years, yet. that's a lot of time. Yeah, because a lot of uh, there's a, there can be a lot of life happenings in 15 sure. years. So um, I'm not quite there yet. But I guess if if I have a patient who's doing well for 15 years, I could get behind that. In your experience, having done this, do you see this more the plaques, the soft plaques? Uh, do you see this more in people with diabetes or insulin problems, or no? You know, it's I'd I'd like to say yes, but not necessarily. I mean, okay. there's I I think I I am seeing sort of these these smallish um, sort of plaques uh, that are there. We call it non-obstructive disease, mm-hmm. and so I guess with the people with the insulin uh, problems and the diabetes, I'm seeing I'm seeing really the um, the the beginnings of disease, I mm-hmm. will say that. And so I, I, I don't want to, uh, anyone to be uh, have a misconception that diabetics and metabolic syndrome patients are disease-free. Mm-hmm. Not the case, but I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of small disease, small plaques. And I think that's so important because we, we can intervene early, put them on the appropriate medications. These tests are, uh, are, are very meaningful, impactful for patients. Um, but gosh, I got to tell you, we're just so often the normal cholesterol patient, the, uh, no symptoms and like, wow, you see that big plaque sitting in there and you're just, you're just thinking, um, uh, you know, just so thankful that you, you ran that test. Yeah. I think, uh, again, back to, you know, being able to say that it's there is, is reassuring and then also being able, and then also for the doctor, it helps you to really you know, drive home the point. I remember when I was in residency, one of our attendings used to check uh, the LP little A subfraction just as a means to drive home the point to the patients. Look, this is really serious. So this has taken that idea to the next level is look, not only is there this blood test, there's there's this actual physical thing. Yeah. There's nothing like a picture to, um, 
to um, motivate. Well, that's and that's that's reality. That's mm-hmm. that's it exists. It isn't theoretical any longer. It isn't based on potential. It's you have a plaque, and we have to deal with it. So tell us, what do you think? Uh, in the news, we're talking before the uh, show started. There's a changes in the environment, the membership medicine landscape with uh, Q Alliance has now uh, declared bankruptcy. So I've seen in the uh, in the press, you guess you call it, a lot of negativity about that. What do you what's your take on that? Well, I think um, I don't think we need to throw the, the the concept out because one of our, you know, truly Q Alliance was a, a, a true beacon, a true leader from from those of us who are practicing this way. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're, they're still a, a business nonetheless. And so I don't think we can extrapolate that mm-hmm. direct primary care is not effective uh, uh, or not a, an effective means of healthcare delivery based on the, the, the fall of a, you know, really a true leader. Uh, I think we have to be, uh, we have to look at uh, how, how that operation was run mm-hmm. and, uh, and take lessons from that. What's your thinking on this, and I have my own opinion, about the difference between uh, direct primary care, call it that, or call it membership medicine, but basically where you're taking a membership fee directly from a patient without processing insurance. What is your feeling of that uh, when you have it done as a corporation, let's say a big corporation like Q-Lions versus one-offs, uh, Griffin Concierge Medical, Echelon Health, uh, you know, even Atlas MD, which has several locations, but there's still a you know a smaller group versus a big corporate parent. Do you think that's? Do you think that is more successful than the bigger one, or is there a difference in the philosophy behind it or the drivers? It's, I'm not clear on that, it, it, and I guess I would say we're as a health care delivery model, we're, we're still very much in the infancy. I think the, the practices that have, have come up are, are basically practices like yours and mine that are, that are started uh, really with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and continued mm-hmm. with the same blood, sweat, and tears. And so is, you'd like to think as your, as your practice grows, you instill the same philosophy. So I don't know that it's a that the philosophy of the smaller practice is, is different than the larger. I think there's some there's some universal truths regarding this this healthcare delivery. Uh, but I, I think there's some there's some definite pros and cons to um, again you, with these large companies. A lot of times they are they are uh, ha- they have contracts with. Uh, large entities. I know Qlients had an agreement, I believe, with uh, Expedia. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens is with the, a lot of these large contracts, you can imagine, and I'm not sure this happened in their case, but you right. can imagine if that account is lost, right? Gosh, you know, you you all of a sudden lose a large portion of your revenue. So mm-hmm. there's just something to be said for for uh, contracting with the individual consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's good to be diversified as well. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I learned when I was a resident working with Dr. Adam Brunson and Caroline Sports and Family Medicine is that he had, he's a he's an insurance-based doctor, but he had insurance contracts. He had uh, uh, workers' comp contracts. He, right. had, um, he had membership contracts that were from the patient, but he also had uh, separate business contracts set up with businesses that didn't want to utilize the workers comp. Right. So he had, you know, when you have a bunch of different revenue streams and yeah, if you get caught up uh, with one, with one big payer and then they don't pay anymore, then that's going to be a big problem. Uh, the other thing I think is going to be interesting as we go forward is 
you know, talking about things like this. So it, when this becomes very common, where you know, it, when you can have this type of study that we're talking about done in Boston for a reasonable price for your patients, when you can have it done in Tampa, when you can have it done in the Midwest, you know, it doesn't just have to be. And you know, I think when we have more of these specialized services, these ancillary services available, that's one of the things I was I did over the past week is I reached out to some Tampa Bay people and said, look, if you want to be a part of a membership or a cash-based network, let us know. Because, you know, it's always good to have that infrastructure so you don't have to call the office and say, hey, I have a patient here who wants to do X, Y, or Z, and they don't have insurance. Then you get the runaround, you know. Right. It'd be better when they say, oh, great. Let me put you through to our, our service provider for that. And I think as those ancillary services develop that are specific to what our needs are, then I think you'll also see, you know, the the, the doctors uh, do do more, do better and have to see more of them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, so patients are, you know, these, these tests are out there. The technology is out there. Uh, the, the consumer is, is very much in medicine hidden from the, the, these tests and, uh, the cost of these tests. And that's why they need a guide. And so right mm -hmm. now you and I, and, and the, the other practitioners at, in our office, uh, and, and other direct primary care offices throughout the country, concierge, and even, even those who don't practice direct primary care or concierge medicine, uh, we're the guides. Mm -hmm. And so until it becomes common knowledge, uh, we have to, in my opinion, we have an obligation to uh, get the tests that are truly impactful for our patients. Uh, we want to make sure it's cost effective for them. We can't break the bank mm -hmm. screening somebody for heart disease. Right. Um, we want to... Um, and we, we do have an obligation to, to know where to send them. And we, I used to have a, a, you know, be taught that we're not to be concerned with a patient's finances. And I, I totally disagree with that. It's, we have to be intimate with that information. And right. I don't care how wealthy one is or, or how poor, if you, if something is, is too costly or appears too costly, someone may say, Oh, well, I'm not going to take that because that's, it's just not in my budget or, or I'm right. not willing to spend that. And so we, it's up to us as, as their guides to, uh, to talk to them, say, Hey, how can we, how can we mitigate this cost for you? Because again, if patients aren't taking a drug because of cost or whatever the reason, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're not doing our job. Yeah. Do you have anything planning, uh, planned for the summer? So you're going on I a trip? Do. Yes. Uh, every summer for the past several years, I have a six year old, Six and a half, she want mm -hmm. me to say, and a three and a half <laughs> year old who uh, we like to go up to North Carolina so mm -hmm. they get to see their Mimi up there. We have a wonderful time in the Asheville area, mm -hmm. and it's just uh, a truly great family time. And and so they, it's it's something that as as young as they are, it's uh, they do very well, and it gives us confidence to maybe venture out a little bit to mm -hmm. uh, to do other things in the future. So we we've been doing that every summer the past several and it's been a lot of fun yeah we're going i think we're going to Asheville. on june 25th tracy's going up and then i'm great. gonna go up for a few days i think it's Asheville. tracy will know if we overlap we'll get together i know we'll have to great. get the guy and you realize that um well thanks for coming in and sharing with us Thank again you. uh this is dr radley griffin griffin concierge medical uh griffin Con <clears throat> griffin concierge medical.com if you're interested in learning more about his practice and if you're interested in learning more about concierge medicine in general, if you go to ask Dr. Tommy slash patients, uh, I have a little website there set up for those uh, people who are interested, also physicians. And so today uh, I wanted to play our song of the week. This is from 
Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was turned 50, so it's 50 years ago today. Actually, not today, but recently that Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. And we're going to play a little bit from Paul McCartney. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>